In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. We often tell stories of immigrants to Canada and what they've done to help build this country. Those stories are wonderful. They are personal and poignant. Tales of individual courage and bravery and strength. But a key word there is individual. When we consider immigration to Canada, we almost always personalize it using anecdotes of notable Canadians or their parents who came to this country to give their families a better life and you know the rest of those stories. What we don't often talk about are the policies and the systems that were put in place to get them here. We don't often talk about how their arrival en masse reshaped the country we know. And we don't often talk about their place in Canadian history. This is especially true if the immigrants we are discussing are black and if the reason they came to Canada was to perform domestic labor for white people. Those stories tend to be relegated to personal family histories, but they really shouldn't be. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Garvia Bailey is one of the creators of Strong and Free, a six-part podcast from Historica Canada, produced by Media Girlfriends. The podcast traces stories from the earliest Black settlers to recently arrived Canadians, including, in one episode, Garvia's own family. Hey, Garvia. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. I'm really glad because we get to talk about a personal story, uh, which is always fun and makes for good conversation. And, And you've got a fascinating story. Why don't you begin by just... Tell me about your mom, Eva, and how she came to Canada. <laughs> Eva's amazing. <laughs> she um, she is uh, in her 80s now, but she did come to Canada on her own. She left um, her family, which is me as a baby. And she was in Jamaica with my father. Um, I had just been born. And she had experienced in this little tiny village in Jamaica in the uh, 60s and into the 70s that there was this real push that was being made for, you know, young Jamaican women uh, moving to Canada as domestic workers. And it was something that she dreamed about. And when she became pregnant with me, it became impossible for her to to do that. But as soon as she had me, she was she was off to Canada in hopes of making a life for us there and setting the table for our family to be able to immigrate there. So I was maybe 
pushing up on a year or so when she left and stayed in Canada for a good couple years and then sent for us. So her story has always been one of real strength and real resilience and real entrepreneurial kind of zest. And it made sense that, you know, as a young girl, when she saw that little ad in a newspaper saying, you know, we're accepting young women to come to Canada to work as domestic workers, that that she held that close to her and never forgot when she saw it. And then years later, when she was able to go herself, she did exactly that. We're going to talk about the big picture of that kind of domestic labor immigration in just a second, because it's a fascinating part of our history. First of all, though, um, as somebody who was just uh, being a single parent for one long weekend with one toddler. Uh, <laughs> shout out to your dad. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, it does take a village. And my right. dad has, he had a lot of people around him that were helping with all the, yeah, just a bunch of toddlers running around. <laughs> oh, man. So your mom's story. Um How usual or unusual is that story? Tell me about that wave of Caribbean immigration to Canada for domestic work. Uh, Her story is, it's remarkable and it's unremarkable at the same time because Mm -hmm. that story is very common for those of us who came to Canada in the 70s or in the 60s. Over 3,000 women came from the West Indies to Canada between 1955 and 1967. And then there was that whole wave that came, like my mother, right after that, sort of on the wave of the West Indian uh, domestic scheme. Mm -hmm. 3,000 doesn't seem like a lot, but many of them settled right here around the Ontario area, around Toronto. So you had all of these women that helped kind of set the table so that white women, Canadian women, were able to re-enter the workforce or to enter the workforce. The Honorable Jean Augustine, she was a domestic worker. She came to Canada on the domestic scheme. There's just so many stories of women that have you know, entered into politics, become builders of our economy that came on the scheme. So it was remarkable that my mother did it as on an individual sort of basis, but it's unremarkable because there were so many women that were doing it that they actually formed their own sort of groups and support groups and and cliques and kind of, you know, knew each other in that way. So, mm-hmm. man, it's a part of Canadian history that I feel was just so underreported that uh, like we just had to, to talk about it because there were so many women. That's what fascinates me about it. And that's why I wanted to talk to you about this podcast, because we hear so many of these stories as anecdotes or as like personal family history. Yeah. But what your show did was give us a look at, you know, the actual policies, the domestic yeah. scheme that brought all these people here. And And why do we tend to hear these as, you know, my mom came here as opposed to there was a real push from government to bring people here? Mm-hmm. Well, it's just it just has to do with with the narratives and who's teaching history and whose history gets to be a part of our grand history as Canadians. And I have to tell you something like this whole series, there were stories in there that I had not heard. And I'm mm-hmm. a learned person. You know, I've you know been practicing journalism for all this time. And there were stories where I was like, I 
had no idea about the Black history of the prairies. Mm-hmm. And I try to be kind of up on things. So it feels as if, you know, it was said many times by the historians that we talked to in the series, um, by the individuals that we talked to, that these histories, unless there's a concerted effort to bring them to the forefront, seem to be, you know, an afterthought for for yeah. us as Canadians. And I think the goal for many of us doing this kind of work and wanting to make these kind of stories or create these kind of stories is to change that. Because, you know, as we say, as our tagline, a Black history is Canadian history. It's sad to me in a way that many, like yourself, Jordan, would not have heard this story growing up. No. You know, and that to me is, uh, it's such a it's such a disappointment, but that doesn't mean that we can't change it. And that's, that's what we're here to do. I want to keep talking about the domestic scheme for a little bit, just because sure. I, I'd like people to come away from this episode uh, with an understanding of that, and then they can go get the full story um, on your podcast and many other stories as well. So you touched on this a minute ago, mm-hmm. but why was there such a demand for domestic labor in Canada at that time? What was happening? Well, you know, I'm not the his- historian. I had a great historian in Karen Flynn <laughs> who uh, who came in and, and talked about it, but there was a shortage of domestic labor throughout the country. And so it was around 1955 that the Department of Citizenship and Immigration was just like, we need to somehow fill these labor gaps. You know, there was there was a war prior to that. There was just like, it, everything was kind of in flux, but what Canada saw or the government of Canada saw was that they needed to start making sure that women especially could start entering the labor force. And that meant that you had to get domestic laborers in. And the other thing is that there was a bit of a desire to have women come from these West Indian islands as opposed to men. And that was a big part of it as well, that there was some, there's something a little bit more safe Hmm. in having these young, and they're all often very young women, come to your uh, country in numbers and settle. And, um, you know, make of that what you will, but that was very much a part of this. And so it started out with a quota of about 100 women came, but it became so popular that it became the way for Caribbean women to hopefully come to Canada and hopefully settle in Canada on a permanent basis. But one of the things that they insisted on was that these women be single, uh, childless, because what the Canadian government did not want was an influx of families. And that part of the scheme shifted later on with the help of those same West Indian women who pushed the government and said that that is just not, that's just not fair. You can't just have us leave our families or just Mm -hmm. make it only, you know, young women that are childless that are able to, to make lives here. We talk about it in the podcast. We talk about it as a, a feminist movement, really, for Canadian women, because Canadian women were, this was the beginning of that movement. They wanted to make money for themselves. They wanted to um, get out of the house and, you know, be their own. And so 
It made sense to have this scheme, and it helped with Canada's general economy. You know, the more people working, the more the economy is turning. Right. It was really quite a time for for Canada, and these women were part of building the Canadian economy at that time. Hi there, I'm Gavin Crawford. I'm a writer, an actor, and a comedian. And for the last eight or nine years, I have been navigating life with my mother's increasing dementia. Has it been sad? Yeah. Has it been funny? Also, yeah. That's what my brand new podcast series, Let's Not Be Kidding, is about. It's the true story of my life as a comedian, my mom, and dementia. Let's Not Be Kidding. With me, Gavin Crawford. A new seven-part series from CBC Podcasts. Available now. What kind of assumptions do stories like your mom's and people like hers challenge about our notion of domestic labor immigration? And I ask Mm. that because, again, this is not something uh, that's been taught, at least not in my school, and I I don't think in many. Mm -hmm. And on the surface, you can look at it as exploitative, right? For sure. it, It also did help diversify the country and bring in bring in families that would go on to make great contributions, mm-hmm. as you kind of pointed out right off the top. How do you reconcile those two things? Well, you know, I think that one of the things that is really important about this story is that these women weren't being forced into coming to Canada. These women had their own sort of, they had their own reasons for coming. They had their own autonomy. They were women that were looking for not just work and a way to get to Canada. They were looking for adventure. They were looking Mm. for new lives. They were looking for economic um, stability in their lives. And so one of the things that the researcher that we used, um, Karen Flynn mentioned, and, and it just stuck with me, that the way to not look at these women is as these, you know, shrinking violets who came to this country just, you know, quiet and docile. They they came because they were the kind of women that had the strength and the resilience yeah. and the and the wherewithal to do something that I think is quite courageous. Yeah. Thank goodness. I think I just partially ans- answered your question. You did, yeah. <laughs> they came here and they did this, the work that no one else wanted to do, obviously, because the Canadian government wouldn't have put the call out if there were other quote-unquote Canadian women that were ready to do this kind of work. And this same sort of thing is happening today. We still see women coming from countries, domestic workers coming from countries like the Philippines, uh, the Caribbean, that still come to this day to act as nannies, as domestic workers. They're still doing that, the same work that, you know, in the 50s was so necessary to build up our uh, economy. I don't know what our COVID response would have looked like without uh, workers from overseas, by the way. Exactly. 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 So, you know, the assumptions that we make about about who these women are, it's very interesting with my mother's story. A lot of these women that she knew about as a young girl that were taking off to Canada, they were being helped by organizations like the church, other church groups that were, you know, in Canada. Like these were not rich women, but 
the village would, you know, come together to help them make passage to Canada. So a lot of affluent women, women that were doing really well in the middle class were easily able to come to Canada to make even a better life for themselves. So I think maybe the assumptions that we would have here is that these are like super poor women that don't have a lot going for them back home and all that. I don't think that that was really the case. Mm -hmm. I think that, that this was some of the the brighter women that made the the trip, the ones that that had supports that were able to do that. And I want to thank you for sharing uh, your story with us and and on the podcast. But before we wrap up, I want to ask you about the other histories that your show looks to address. Mm. And they're not the kind that there are a ton of like detailed records kept, or as we mentioned already, that's been mm. written down on the history books. Like you're you're combing through anecdotes looking for a bigger picture, right? Yeah, but the thing is, I think that's the that's the that's the misconception. The records are there. It's hmm. just a matter of having the will to look for them. You know, all of the the experts that we used, um, the wonderful Karina Vernon, who is a professor at uh, University of Toronto Scarborough, she's from the prairies as well, and she she has found so much writing from the the previously enslaved folks that settled the prairies. These writings that are were right there if you were looking for them, and I don't think that it's a matter of the the information is not there. It's just the desire to unearth the information and present it as a part of our history, our collective history as a country. Once you start looking, it's all there. This, the stories of, you know, Marianne Shad Carey, the first Black newspaper woman, the first woman that had her own newspaper in this country, mm -hmm. it's all there. Like, you know, she was a newspaper woman. The writing is there. Right. So it's, it's there if you're looking for it. And the most important thing to us was that we weren't just digging through dusty pages to bring you these stories. We were linking these stories to right now. Our history is a living history. I am the, the child of not just my mother, but I'm also the child of Marianne Shad Carey. Me doing the work that I'm doing now is a direct is in direct lineage to who she was as a newspaper woman, as someone that brought the stories that needed to be told that weren't being told to the masses. So I feel like this is just a continuation. The most important thing for us as Media Girlfriends, our company, was to make sure these histories were tied to now, that they are living histories, that if you're a child and you're listening to this right now, you can look and see how these histories reverberate through you right now. I'm so glad that you're doing it. I know uh, already I've learned a lot from your podcast and I hope everybody gets a chance to check it out. Thank you, Garvia. Well, thank you so much for your interest, Jordan. Thanks so much. Garvia Bailey, one of the creators of Strong and Free. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. That was The Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Talk to us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. And as always, you can find us via email, thebigstorypodcast, all one word, at rci.rogers.com. I told you that I would read out some of the comments we get from Twitter, from email, from anywhere, really. And since we're going to make this a thing, I'm going to pick ones that make us feel good. So a shout out to Paul who wrote, I love your podcasts. I discovered your podcast about three weeks ago 
and since then have listened to every one. I learned something from each one and have shared several to my family and friends. Keep up the great work. You see what Paul did there? He shared this podcast with family and friends. Paul clearly listens to this outro and does what I am begging you to do if you like this podcast. Tap somebody you know on the shoulder, say, hey, give me your phone and subscribe them and wait a few days for them to thank you. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk tomorrow.